Hello, and welcome back to Movie Remake Time, a Filmmaker's Compass podcast where we take a look at sequels, reboots, and remakes and ask the very simple question, who did it best? I'm CP. This is my awesome co-host, D-Man. D-Man, say hello to everybody. Hey, everybody. Uh, <laughs> we have another kind of, uh, you know, kind of quirky episode where we're not doing a full reboot or a sequel per se, but we're really excited because this week in theaters, the latest James Bond movie dropped. And you have to go to the theaters, I believe. I don't know if you can watch it streaming yet, but... No Time to Die has dropped in the theaters, and we decided to do something a little fun in honor of its release, and that is compare the final Daniel Craig Bond movie to the final Pierce Brosnan movie. And that's because CP and I grew up watching both of those. We were able to see them as they were released, and those were the Bonds that we actually got to experience in the flesh versus inheriting through movie history. So we're kind of pumped. This is a different style of this show. Definitely excited to talk James Bond. I mean, come on. Dude, I'm so excited. One of the things that really stands out, this we have to say this at the top of this episode, and that is spoiler alert. Oh, <laughs> so many spoilers. Seen, yeah, if you have not seen No Time to Die, you know, you haven't caught up on the Daniel Craig Bond saga, I would recommend you do not listen to this podcast as we will be talking spoilers. So from here on out, if that's you, I would turn it off. Or if you're just ready to hear the ending, welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get, you know, right into the James Bond legacy here, which is Pierce Brosnan did four James Bond films. I believe it was Goldeneye, Tomorrow Never Dies, World Is Not Enough, and Die Another Day. Exactly. So the movie we will be discussing is Die Another Day specifically, although we, I'm sure we're going to be referencing Pierce Brosnan's full run of Bond films. Probably. Die Another Day is 2002. At the time, Pierce Brosnan did not know it was going to be his last Bond film, which is an important piece to remember when we discuss 2021 No Time to Die, because Daniel Craig made it very clear going into this film that this was going to be his final Bond film, no matter what. Now, I can't quote Daniel Craig here, but I do remember an interview in which he basically exposed some disdain for the role. I think he was maybe just overplaying James Bond. You don't get that when you watch No Time to Die. I didn't feel that through the performance, although I do know prior to coming back, he had already expressed that he wanted to be done with it. I always thought that was something very interesting. Obviously, George Lazenby early on expressed some dissatisfaction with the Bond character in that role, but with the exception of him, all the other Bond actors seem to have really loved it and embraced it. And I think one of the sharp contrasts that we get between Daniel Craig and Pierce Brosnan is Craig, after it seemed like Quantum of a Solace was kind of talking about, all right, I'm done with this. I'm ready to move on. Whereas Pierce Brosnan, when he found out that he was being replaced after Die Another Day, seemed very upset as an actor. I remember feeling bad about the way they went about firing him and moving on because he seemed well, to really love James Bond. Not only did Pierce Brosnan embrace the role and he loved James Bond, but it is worth worth noting that they decided after Die Another Day to reboot the franchise with a new Bond and a new style. And Die Another Day up to that point was the most successful Bond film, I think, internationally that had ever been released. So it was mm -hmm. actually a pretty bold move, even though if you look at like contemporary reviews of Die Another Day versus, you know, looking back on it now, I think it's more poorly received today than it was in its time. Did not really benefit from the length of time. And then it didn't benefit from Daniel Craig 
Craig stepping into the role and kind of giving us that down to earth, grittier, punch you in the face, James Bond, not the smooth, suave ladies man that Pierce Brosnan was. Before we move on, I did want to acknowledge Daniel Craig's run as Bond, and you can verify this for me because I know you know it probably better than I do, but it's Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Spectre, and now No Time to Die. So Daniel Craig actually did one more movie. He did five and Brosnan did four. And like you said, Daniel Craig actually got the uh, send-off in No Time to Die. Pretty much everyone was like, this is going to be his last take on it. Yeah. Let's look at the James Bonds. Did you have a preference here? Yeah. Is it Pierce Brosnan or Daniel Craig? Because I have to say, I think out of all the movies that we just listed, my favorite is probably Goldeneye. It's my favorite too. Probably a lot of that is more than nostalgia. I think that's the first Bond movie I really remember seeing. Like when it was contemporary and new, I think I was homesick and my mom went to Blockbuster and got it. Yeah, I um, know. And like had the I video remember playing game. the N64 yeah. video game. Who didn't our age have split screen multiplayer game parties in their basement back in the Midwest? Everybody was playing Goldeneye. It was an amazing game. At the time though, Goldeneye was a significant attempt to reboot the Bond franchise. If you recall, they wanted Pierce Brosnan to play James Bond in the 80s. They couldn't get him contractually. He was locked into the television series he was doing at the time. I don't they even know what series that was. Remington Steel. They went with okay, there you go. Timothy <laughs> Dalton. Spicer. Both the films were kind of blah. Mixed with the collapse of the Soviet Union in the late 80s, early 90s. There were some conversations within Hollywood about, was it even worse continuing with James Bond or this just a relic of the past? And I think GoldenEye mirrors that chain. We never really go back to the Soviet Union, Russia being the enemy in every single Bond film, even though they do appear as enemies in, you know, Russia, Moscow, all that. He does go to Moscow and GoldenEye. I do think they were able to successfully reboot the franchise, but I mean, wow, once you get into the other three films, I mean, they are just pushing it into like, I guess I would call it G.I. Joe. (laughs) When we look specifically at Die Another Day, the director, Lee Tamahori, I don't know how to say his name. I apologize. He said, one of the cool things that we can do with Bond films that you can't do with other action franchises like Die Hard and Lethal Weapon is we can really make these things big and extravagant and have the glitz and the glamour of spy action movies that the other franchises don't. They were definitely leaning into that aspect of James Bond. We expect James Bond to go to the party, there to be a lot of fancy dress people. There always has to be a villain who is larger than life and super maniacal and They're memorable. A perfect example is Die Another Day. Like the guy at the beginning, they're like working with like stolen blood diamond. There's an explosion and then half of his face is dying. They just always have, you know, there's Jaws, there's like so many guys, you know, even I think, what was his name? Trevelyan? Yeah. Is that his name? And Goldeneye? I mean, even he gets scarred from an explosion. What's his name? Lost an Eye in the later ones. Javier Bardem, he could like take his mouth out. There's always some memorable physical quality about these villains. Makes them instantly recognize. In this one, they kind of have that with the one guy who has the diamonds in his face and then in No Time to Die, what's the actor's name? Remy Malik. Yeah, Remy Malik. He's scarred and then he has that kind of white doll face mask or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. He stands out. Villains are a big part of Bond, right? It's kind of like Batman. You gotta have a cool villain. It's like part of it. It can't just be like a street level thug. And it's always gotta be something in James Bond. It's always gotta be something international. Yeah. So we looked at Pierce Brosnan, how they changed the game by 
by bringing him on. Now they switch to Daniel Craig. And I mean, Casino Royale really goes back to spy thriller roots. I think it's Mm -hmm. all summed up, honestly, in the opening sequence, which is just like action sequence with James Bond in his prime, kicking ass. It's gritty. It's no longer this like he's driving around with like crazy contraptions and cars. It's like, no, he's like chasing a bunch of guys. It's all just straight up whatever brute force can get you. Part of that is an attempt to kind of return to the Sean Connery-esque rough around the edges character. The Ian Fleming character is not this refined, polished, suave guy who you get in the Roger Moores and the Pierce Brosnan type film. So it was a conscious effort to bring James Bond back to his roots. And I think it worked, generally speaking. The reboot with Daniel Craig, as risky as it was, I remember, I think you and I were like freshmen in college and we heard about the announcement of Daniel Craig as James Bond and we were kind of like, what are they doing? I mean, Mm -hmm. even if you want to reboot the style of James Bond, I was like, Pierce Brosnan is your guy. He's James Bond right now. They're like, nah, we're recasting. We're going with this guy. Everybody was kind of like, I don't know, guys. I don't know. Just like Heath Ledger pulled it off in The Dark Knight. Daniel Craig nailed it. I'm not going to lie. He really embodied that new, or as you said, old school kind of version of Bond that had been missing for the better part of two decades. With No Time to Die, they step in here and they're ending this story. Now, something I wanted to give props to for the Daniel Craig's saga of James Bond is the movies, while they each have a unique villain and kind of a unique spy thriller to solve, they are connected in a unique way that the other ones, like all the Pierce Brosnans, you might see some recurring characters like, right, Q's still in it, but there's almost no reference to other movies. There's no reference to this kind of shared world. They're just kind of in the same role. Even in the ones where you have multiple films in a row with James Bond facing Spectre, where I think in total there's eight or nine Bond films involving the character of Blowfield. Yeah. They're not directly linked where the events of Casino Royale have consequences all the way up until No Time to Die. And the death of Esper comes into play in this film in a way which we've never seen with earlier Bond films. I appreciated that. It's funny because if you haven't seen all the Daniel Craig Bond movies and you go see No Time to Die, it's almost like you could go back and learn the history of like, who are all these characters in this movie? Like, it's kind of neat in that way. If you started with No Time to Die, you're like, oh man, who was Vesper? You're like, well, you can go back and find out. Pretty cool. And then they have Blowfield and they have a bunch of different references. I think there's like a portrait of M on the wall, you know, Judy Dench's M. They have all these things, these callbacks that you're like, yeah, if you go back, it's all there. Mm -hmm. They talk about Bond going off the ground He's kind of disappeared and he's no longer a double O agent. The whole point is, though, that the reason for that stems from, well, events at the beginning of the movie, but also the trauma that he's been through over the course of the previous four films. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, I need a break. I'm done with it. And I can't necessarily blame him. I mean, he was living on like tropical, not paradise. It wasn't like a mansion, but I mean, damn, that was nice. Wouldn't <laughs> yeah, be the worst thing. Nice. Wouldn't be the worst thing. On that note, kind of doing a little uh, looking back at the characters in their roles over the course of their films. Which one do you think did it better? Pierce Brosnan or Daniel Craig? Oh, wow. That's kind of tough. Because I can give you my answer. I think I know what you're going to say. I really think it is tough to beat Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. And so I'm going to give it to Brosnan. I I'm going to have to give it to Daniel Craig. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. Well, I think the Daniel Craig films are so much more grounded. I just am a fan of Pierce Brosnan as Bond. Obviously, I mean, as I've said time and time again, I still think Connery is the best Bond, and I will stand by that till the day I die. He's the man who gave life to the role, brought it to audience 
audience is everywhere. That's what I think. As far as just, you know, their performances, I really like the uh, grounded down to earth story presented in the, the Daniel Craig films. Like I said, my favorite one's probably Goldeneye. And I do love Brazen role. He was great. I had a lot of fun going back and enjoying Daniel Craig as James Bond. So I'm going to have to give the nod to him. He also had one more movie. So you get to watch another. I mean, audience right here, we have to ask you because either you agree with me because I'm right or you're wrong and you agree with Dustin. <laughs> so really just let us know who you think is right here just so I can rub it in Dustin's face. Thanks, appreciate it. Looking at the two films specifically, Die Another Day versus No Time to Die. So there's a couple different elements at play here. And a few really uncanny comparisons and similarities between the two films. Die Another Day from 2002. This was a benchmark film in its own right. This was the 20th bond. Bond film. It was also the 40th anniversary of Bond. And yeah, I no heard, Time to I Die heard is that the they actually they pay homage to a lot of the Bond films throughout Die Another Day. They say there is a reference to every single Bond film throughout, which I think is cool. And rewatching it again, I was trying to pick off the ones that I could, like uh, when Gustav Graves parachutes out of the plane with the United Kingdom flag parachute, much oh, like yeah. Bond does in The Spy Who Loved Me. They're trying to cut Jinx in half with a laser like they do with James Bond in Goldfinger. Yeah. And then there's all these little things like the jetpack from Thunderball. Where the, it just it, it just goes up. The boot knife from, from Russia with Love. So there's lots of cool little references and nods to what's been there before. The most famous of which is Q gives Bond his watch and says, oh, you've had about 20 of these, right? You know, how time flies. Worth noting is that that is the first Bond film that does not have Desmond Lublin as Q. Oh, and he just retired or what happened? His last okay. film was The World Is Not Enough and then he passed away. He'd been in almost every Bond movie from Goldfinger on. I don't think he was in From Russia With Love and Dr. No. So Is From Russia With Love still considered the best Bond movie? I guess it depends on who you talk to. <laughs> <laughs> well, listeners, you let us know. How do you rank your top three, top five Bond films? We'll, that leave, we'll leave that for the comments. Oh, wow, that's going to be great. Yeah, I can't wait to hear. That's a big shift in Bond culture in its own right. Yeah. Obviously, James Bond has been captured. He mm -hmm. gets captured frequently in Bond films, but yep. never to the extent that we see in Die Another Day, where he's actually in the North Korean prison cramp and tortured for a year and a half. And yeah, he ends up with like long hair and a beard. Abandoned by, by MI6. That's something more akin to the Daniel Craig films leaving the agency behind and doing his own thing, which again happens specifically in No Time to Die. Yep. Die Another Day was one of the first Bond movies to bring that about, which I thought was interesting. Something that did stand out was obviously we talk a lot on this show about effects. Obviously this is 2021. No Time to Die is getting the most up-to-date effects. So when we compare the two, I mean, it's not really like a fair comparison. Die Another Day's effects have not aged particularly well. I remember seeing in the theater that scene where he surfs when he's in ice. I mean, the surfing's just bad. Ice. You can tell that's done on like a blue screen. There's the scene where Halle Berry's character Jinx, she dives off this cliff and yeah. it's just blatantly blue screen. There's some parts where it's almost like they're so lazy. They're just like, it's going to be so much more difficult. Just blue screen at the audience is not going to care. And I think that is a detriment. One of the things that the Craig Bonds do really well, there is much more of this almost like Mission Impossible yeah. level of attention to the realism of the stunts. 
which yeah, I yeah. think is an audience you have to love. And I think it's going to age better. That was 2002. So we're 19 years away from Die Another Day. Give it 19 years after No Time to Die. I think those effects will hold up much better. Even if we're comparing those two movies in another 19 years, Die Another Day will look that much worse. Absolutely. I think I have to give the nod in that sense to No Time to Die. They had a lot of great car motorcycle chases. They had some helicopter shots in this movie. They did a really good job they had really good fight choreography. It never came off as like cheesy. The sequence at the end of the film where he's trying to get up into the bunker control tower. Yeah, like the one shot. I think it's phenomenal in terms of the action, the realism of it. It's very visceral and physical. It doesn't feel like that typical Bond walks into a warehouse and a thousand people shoot at him and he's picking them off. This felt like a James Bond who deserved to be there. He was winning because he was better. Know. When you say that though, I do have to admit after watching both these Bond films i'm shocked that this guy has not died he just gets shot at relentlessly he got hit a couple times other than like a slight limp he wasn't going out on it that was one of the things that stood out to me watching both of them again is there's like a running gag in star wars where like stormtroopers can't hit anything yeah and i'm like god that's kind of how it feels here like james bond just has there's like armies around him, entire tactical teams with fully <laughs> automatic weapons and they just cannot seem to hit this guy Conversely, he often is able, like you said, to somehow pick them off. Although I did like in No Time to Die when he's going up like the stairwell, because that one felt like from a POV kind of over the shoulder of what Daniel Craig is doing, it did feel like he was able to get off quicker. He's he, just he was better. just better than everybody. Right. Yeah. yeah, that one felt that way. There's that car chase in Spain with the Aston Martin from Goldfinger, which is amazing. Oh, that was so dope, though. Like, so he's like, it's awesome because the chase sequence starts off with him just driving. He's outmaneuvering these guys. He's crashing them. And then all of a sudden opens up this little thing inside the car, this little uh, control panel. And all of a sudden it's the James Bond car that everyone knew, right? It's got machine guns in the headlights completely bulletproof he's doing smoke it was incredible yeah. I, it made me smile i was like yes there he is james bond in the flesh right there of course like you said that's the famous car that was an incredible sequence with no time to die something that stands out to me is the opening sequence which actually plays a little bit like a horror movie what were your thoughts on that for one it is the longest opening pre-title james bond sequence obviously there's a couple different elements to the pre-title sequence or whatever but the main one being like where the guy shows up at the girl's house i mean that was really creepy mm-hmm like i was shocked i mean it was playing to me like almost like a slasher film that had those type of vibes good i mean the tension was high well what's weird about it is a lot of those kind of cold openings are just action sequences to show off how cool bond is right well and they still have it it's just the next sequence this one was so integral to the story and as you said it took a different style and a different feel and it was not like anything we'd seen in a bond movie before i really enjoyed it i had to say when it kicked off i was surprised i was like this is not at all what i thought i, I mean i was picturing the scene when he's with the girl what's her name Madeline or yeah, Madeline something like that. Swan. It, yeah, Madeline Swan. He's with her and they're like in love. And then he goes to Vesper's grave. Bam, explosion. He rushes back down. Now we're in like classic James Bond opening sequence. I'm like, this is what I expected. But that original where the villain shows up at the girl's house, I was like, man, that was 
intense. And then when we go into the following title sequences, when we look back at Die Another Day, something that Die Another Day does, that's the only Bond film I can think of where the title sequence is directly a portion of the Yeah, because they like cut into his torture. It is Because most of them the, are these abstract, I mean, I'm sure there's a company out there that is just living their best life, creating like, oh man, have the bullets like hit each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, literally like the opening sequences sound like a student in like film school was like pitching like a cool idea. And they're like, oh yeah. And then you like, you pull back and it's in like, like a sand dial and like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. then you pull back further and it's like the whole world. And you're like, that's like the opening sequences to Bond. Like someone gets to be as creative as they can. I wanted to say, I don't know if you noticed this, but in No Time to Die, when he does like down the barrel, fires the gun, there was no blood. Most of the time blood. I mean, yeah, it like drops down, like someone got shot. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know, maybe they just switched it up, but I was like, all right, we have to give, a, you know, an acknowledgement to both films i think they both kind of hit all the uh, major james bond catchphrases shaken not stirred bond james bond uh license to kill i think was said in both in no time to die great attempt well actually in both of them really because like you said the uh, story in die another day does call for him to be kind of excommunicated from mi6 or whatever there's great emphasis on his 007 call sign or whatever mm-hmm. and all that so they, i mean they they have all those things in in both the movies both of these bond films involve James Bond going to Cuba. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. That's I where mean, he meets Jinx, right? Yeah. It's, it's not like every Bond movie he's in Cuba, but it happens to be that in out of the five that he is, two of them this are the is two we're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. So which and, title sequence do you think did it better? I mean, we got Madonna. And then who did the title sequence in the new one? I'm not 100% sure. Uh, Billy Eilish. Okay, Billy Eilish. Opening song. I really actually like the Die Another Day opening because we've never seen that before and we haven't really seen it since then. That one. And they're all actually pretty good. You go back and look at a lot of them. They're all interesting enough that you can't look away. I you do know, think it's funny, though, that with that one, apparently that's one of the most uh, disputed James Bond theme songs. I guess it was nominated for a Golden Globe and a Grammy. Yeah, but it was also, also nominated for like a Golden Raspberry. The worst song, so I guess it's really divisive. I actually like the Die Another Day one. I heard that it played really well to youth because it kind of has that almost like a club vibe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like you could see that being on a DJ's playlist where the Billie Eilish one, I think, plays more to the somberness of, hey, we're going to see some death here. You know, no time to die. You're like, uh-oh, that doesn't sound good. Even that acknowledgement, right? Die Another Day, No Time to Die. I mean, there's even this subtle hint... You know, the titles themselves both kind of mean the same thing, really. It's like, not yet. Last thing I want to talk about, at some point we're going to get into into story more, but I do think that this is relevant. Both of these films were altered by real world events. With No Time to Die, the film was originally supposed to be released pre-pandemic, and it is a film about James Bond preventing a global pandemic. I did not from nanobots. In nanobots, not not coronavirus. (laughs) However, in Die Another Day, which I did not know, it was originally written and production began with the Icarus project, instead of them using it along the 38th parallel, they mm-hmm. were actually supposed to attack New York. Assuming 2002, of, yeah, after 9-11, they're like, that's not going to work. We got to change that. I just thought that was kind of interesting that both of these final Bond films were both sort of cursed by current events. Interesting. I did notice that parallel with the pandemic. I was like, ah, I mean, what is the chance that the villain's plan would be to infect a lot of people and have them infect other people? And <laughs> sounds a lot like what we're dealing with today. 
But yeah, when we dive into the stories, like I said at the top, I think one of my favorite things about No Time to Die is how it draws inspiration and characters and stories from the previous set of Daniel Craig Bond films. I really enjoyed that element of it. It makes all the other ones feel like must viewing if you want to understand why all this is happening. Die Another Day, I felt was much more, it was in that kind of standalone vein. Ironically, I thought both of them, when they got to their villains, they were both outlandish. I didn't really care for either of the villains these, if I'm being honest. And we've talked about this outside the show. Some of the best villains are directly related to Bond. Yeah, Vesper, Trevelyan, and Goldeneye. Right, and they're playing off of who Bond is and taking advantage of of their history with him. Well, because it makes it feel more like integral that it needs to be James Bond and not just another double O agent. Because sometimes they kind of have like this vibe of like, I mean, here's the case file. This one's for 007. This one's for 006. You know, like, <laughs> this is just the case you're going on. There's not really a whole tie to the character, but the most powerful Bond stories are like Trevelyan was his partner and one of his best friends. Vesper is ironically one of the first times Bond truly, truly fell in love. And then both times he was betrayed. It's got yeah. a suck to be James Bond. You can never trust anyone. I mean, they deal with that in No Time to Die. You can never trust anybody. I was much more, story-wise, with No Time to Die, I was much more invested in the girl. I really wanted to know... The little girl or Swan? Swan. I liked her story, her place in the story. I thought it was really well done because she was an intriguing character. She got the opening sequence. There was this sense she had possibly betrayed James Bond but didn't. You know, it was interesting, but I don't know. I just wanted Bond to be happy. At the beginning of the movie, they like hint that he could be happy again. And then you're like, oh, this freaking asshole betrayed him again. (laughs) And then of course she comes back in the story and you're like, oh man, that was my favorite. I wasn't really into the villain. I wasn't really feeling it. I have to agree on both accounts. I think because the way that they introduce Swan and her background inspector, there is a lot of questions that aren't answered for an audience. So it's cool that we get to continue with who she is and her relationship. Relationship yeah. with Bond. I agree. I think as far as the Daniel Craig villains, I feel like this was the weakest one. Yeah, I didn't, I don't know. There was something about him, the whole plan of, you know, I was like, I don't know why you'd want to do, I mean, <laughs> maybe you're the Joker and you just want to like fuck shit up. But generally speaking, I was like, I'm not really sure why you're doing all this. Just keep your garden to yourself, bro. I wasn't feeling it. And same thing, you know, you go to die another day and there's kind of this villain faking his own death and like, he's trying to come back and I don't know, it's somewhat kind of like, I don't want to say win the love of his father, but like he's trying to like reclaim his spot and all this stuff. I was like, it's all right. If I had to go, which one did I like more? I'm going to give the nod to No Time to Die. And the reasoning is because I think the number one thing they wanted to convey to me as the viewer was... Whoa, 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 whoa. Before we get there, I do think there's something very serious that we need to have a conversation about that we have not mentioned. All right. We told people that there were going to be spoilers. Let's talk about the damn spoilers. Okay, so in Die Another Day, James Bond wins. So if you're curious, he uh, he, he dies. The they kill James <laughs> Bond. In No Time to Die, he dies. Finally, after all these Bond movies, he's gone. How many Bond movies have there been? 25? Yep. He's dead. <laughs> So, <laughs> well, technically 25 official, then there's the non, those two yeah, okay. James Bond movies. So for 25 films, he is now dead, dead. Yeah, they've officially killed James Bond. And I have to say, love the way they did it. All right, break it down. All right. What did you love about so, it? So the whole thing, and this is what I was going to say about the story, is the movie No Time to Die is asking the question of can James Bond ever find happiness or peace? Can he ever be at peace? And the answer, I think, is yes. He probably could. The way the movie plays out, 
Swan and him end up having like a, you know, they go off and they have their romantic thing away and then he gets attacked. The way the story plays out is that while they were doing that, she got pregnant and ended up having James Bond's son. Daughter, sorry. She's a daughter, man. Had a daughter. And her name was... I had no idea. Ma- uh, Magrid or something? I don't know. James what? Bond's daughter. That's what her name is. The point is, the way the story plays out, nanobot virus infects people based on their DNA. If you have this virus, if the nanobots have infected you and infected you with the appropriate DNA for whoever you want to send the virus after, if you come in contact with them, they will die. And it's pretty gruesome death. By the end of the film, we realize that James Bond is indeed infected, but with the DNA of Swan and his daughter. He will never, ever be able to be with them again, according to the movie. There's just no way you could ever remove the virus from a human body. He would never enjoy happiness. But when I say he could have found peace, I think with his daughter, he would have officially retired. That doesn't mean James Bond doesn't have energies and we couldn't get another movie out of it. I mean, he could go away somewhere, mostly live in peace until someone gets him. The point is the movie says, no, that's not going to happen. You can't physically be in contact with them or be around them at all. So you're screwed. Well, he ends up realizing also if he lives, that can always be used against him. If his enemies ever wanted to hurt him personally, unlike before where I said, hey, they might try to kill him, whatever. Now they're just like, hey, we're going to get your wife and your daughter in the same room as you. It's over. They're dead. He ends up, they fire missiles, and that's it. He stands in a reign of fire glory, and James Bond is gone. Saves the day, saves his lover and his daughter. I think he was at peace with it. And I think in the end, he truly found a reason to die. And I liked it. Wow. So if you haven't seen the film and you're still <laughs> listening to us, you don't need to go see it because Dustin gave such a great play-by-play of that, that film. Almost rivals the, the cinematic experience in its own right. Yeah, um, I mean, okay. Jesus. So you liked it because you thought it worked in this story or is part of it just the fact that you thought we needed to take a character who has not been ever brought to this point here? Yeah, I like that element. Um, <clears throat> it makes it a unique James Bond viewing experience, but really I think that's the crux of the movie. The villain just seems to play that evil maniacal guy who has a master plan to take over the world or destroy the world or whatever. I think the crux of the movie is can James Bond ever find happiness and peace? With the ending, I think they deliver, but it's like the answers are yes, no, and then option C, which is what we got. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I enjoyed it. I thought that was great. That to me was worthwhile. I I mean, am I sad that James Bond's gone? Sure. Did I cry? No. You know, I might have shed a tear when Tony Stark went. (laughs) I mean, it is interesting, right? And we've always kind of talked about this. One of the potential flaws in the James Bond film series is the fact that we know that James Bond is not going to die. We say it all the time. James Bond's going to find a way out of it. And he always does. So I do think that it was bold that they decided to go there because up until the very second, you're like, he's got a way out. He's got a way. No, he's actually going to self-sacrifice here. And I think that was very powerful. And I think it was a nice bookend to the Daniel Craig, James Bond chapter. I really wanted him to get off that island and spend the rest of life with the lover and the daughter. Well, if you recall, during the Connery films, he did get married. I believe his wife died in the George Lazenby on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So we have seen the character go there before. The introduction of his child was was something we haven't seen before. And the quote-unquote death, remember, and I will remind you all, if you stayed till the very end of the credits as I have, like every other James Bond film before it, it does say James Bond will return. So I don't know. Is this simply that we're getting another Bond movie or we are getting a continuation of the Bond storyline? I don't know. And they may not know either. Apparently they have no idea who the heck the next James Bond's going to be. Well, it's interesting. And we'll talk about this after we get to the end of the film or the end of our discussion. 
story-wise, you know, who do you think did it better? And clearly, you know, I think No Time to Die did. I actually enjoyed the story. I really wanted them to be together. I wanted James Bond to be happy. He's always so sad. Only having seen No Time to Die once, because I just saw it the other day, whereas Die Another Day, unfortunately, I've seen a million times. I, I tend to agree. I think that the No Time to Die is the better story. It pushes Bond. It pushes the Bond franchise in a new direction. At the time, I thought Die Another Day did some bold and innovative things that we hadn't seen before at that time, you know, for a Bond film. Looking at them, you know, there's just certain elements, the surfing, the ice palace, certain elements of Die Another Day, I just don't think have aged well. I just, to me, they just stood out. Like, I mean, I don't know. It's like watching that scene at the beginning of Temple of Doom when they're in that raft and they're like going down a river. And I'm like, they would be dead. I mean, <laughs> it, they, it reminds me of that where I'm like, why is James Bond surfing? Like in a spy suit. I just can't. Well, I will tell you this. CG on a blue screen. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of the Pierce Brosnan films suffer from that same thing, which is in an attempt to go so big, they blow up our expectations and we're like, this it is just has kind of get. a cartoonish effect. Like I said, it reminds me like, of like G.I. Joe, Rise of Cobra. I mean, it's exactly why they were able to create three Austin Powers in movies poking fun at how big they really go and how outlandish these, these plots can become at times. Yeah. So I'm with you. I think that the newer version being grounded in realism is a better Ooh. story in its own right. You want to know a fun fact though when they go to that ice palace and he comes back on his car apparently they stopped a dam and they really froze that lake open. oh really yeah i thought that was badass i was like hey i mean of all the things you could do that are badass that's pretty badass that's pretty cool. Another fun fact, actually for Die Another Day before they decided on Lee uh, Tamamori, they considered and met with the directors, Tony Scott, wow. Quentin Tarantino, and this last one blows my mind, Martin Scorsese. No way. Yeah, right? Like, can you imagine if Martin Scorsese made a Bond film? That would have been in insane. I mean, I'm almost shocked that he was actually interested in it, but I mean, I guess you kind of have to be open to everything. Mm -hmm. It didn't work out, clearly. So it's kind of like, eh. Yeah, story-wise, I'd have to give the nod there. Stunts and effects, I'm, I'm much more preferential to the grounded, you know, realism, brute force style. Although there's something to be said about being outlandish, right? It is something, James Bond. So, so something else I want to ask you about, this was obviously one of the big, quote-unquote, controversial aspects of the film before it came out. The idea that many audience goers were led to believe that there was going to be a woman, 007, which there was. Yes. <laughs> no, there was. Um, yeah, she took over the monitor. I, I was kind of surprised, first of all, that there was such a backlash because I was like, it's literally just their number that they're assigned. Clearly, as I think that Daniel Craig James Bond has like left the MI6 like in three of his five movies. So I was like, why is this such a shock? In this film, he might not be an MI6 agent. It's happened before. I mean, I guess this was the conversation I was alluding to before. It felt like the filmmakers and probably the producers are going to gauge the reaction to the film and determine whether they want to move forward because there's a scene at the end where they all they set a glass of scotch down or whatever and they do a toast to James Bond having passed and there's a sense that that could be the central cast for another 007 adventure. I don't see why not. I actually was a little surprised they didn't get bold enough and let the villain live so that they would have a secondary story to kick off this new, like, hey, these agents are off to find this villain to avenge James Bond's death. I got the impression hmm. that the film 
makers either wanted to bookend Daniel Craig and just leave it, or they were maybe not bold enough or confident enough in the idea that the story would have to continue. Because what if people didn't like it? That's interesting. Because again, when we look at Die Another Day, Eon originally planned to use that as a springboard for a series set in the James Bond universe of films. With, with Jace, Halle right? Berry. Yeah. yeah. And I remember so, they said after it was like the bombing of like one of the Tomb Raider movies. And I think it was like Catwoman. Ironically, it was Halle, Halle Berry. And I think Electra or something like that. They ended up deciding against, at that time, doing a female-led action franchise. Even though I think the character of Jinx was really well-received. It was nice that she wasn't, you know, a double cross or anything like that. They actually make it a different girl. Because, mm-hmm. you know, all the James Bonds, they all have these, like, femme fatales. You can never trust them. Mm-hmm. You never know. That was why I really loved Swan in No Time to Die. Because I think she really loved James Bond. And we were set up to think that she was. And guess what? They broke the norm and she was wasn't. She was someone yeah. who actually cared about Bond and loved him. Yeah. Oh, I just wanted them to find happiness. <laughs> there's this idea formulating somewhere that if No Time to Die does really well and there's a great reception to the cast that's left, that they would dare to continue 007 with someone other than James Bond. I'm assuming it would be the girl in the movie, which I can't, her name is eluding me at the moment. I just knew her as 007. I'm assuming she would take up the mantle, which that'd be cool. As long as the story's good, we got the spy thriller element. It would definitely be interesting. I was surprised. I thought if they were going to do that, that yeah, they would leave almost like a hanging cliffhanger, something that they could use to springboard that next film. And I felt like they didn't do that. And like I said, I don't know whether that's because they wanted to give Daniel Craig that full bookend, your story's over. And if we do move on with this cast, that'll be their story. Mm-hmm. Or if they were maybe, you know, not bold enough to do it. They they didn't have enough belief in, you know, a 007 film without James Bond. You know, a great example of that is the Bourne series, right? They've done Bourne movies without Jason Bourne. And they did not do so hot. Not that James Bond typically has this driving central mystery, but Bourne series, the, one of the reasons why it, you know, it had such hooks was because everyone wanted to know what his backstory was. Very driven around his identity. I, I was actually thinking kind of, of more what Disney was originally thinking with the Indiana Jones franchise. Yeah. They were setting themselves up to have a new person take up the mantle and follow in Indiana Jones' footsteps. And audiences did not seem like they would be on board with that. Think, Probably why they dropped it. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming the initial reaction to that, which was online. And oh my God, you cannot listen to the internet. You know, they said Daniel Craig would suck. They said Heath Ledger would suck. They've said a lot of people that would suck would, and they did. But they basically say everyone's going to suck. <laughs> I don't know. You just can't, you can't listen to that. Like if you have a vision, if you have something you want to do, I think you have to be bold enough to make that move. And I got the vibe that they're now they're like, let's see how people react to the film. Did they Fair like enough. it? You know, how does it do at the box office? Does this still have staying power? I don't know. They just didn't go all the way. So I'm not sure if what you're asking is, are they just going to cast another James Bond and kick off a new iteration of the franchise? It's possible. They did not make it clear to me that, that's not what will happen. Fair enough. While we're on that topic, if the Broccoli's called you up and they said, hey, who do you think we should cast as James Tom Bond? Cruise. Uh, don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. Anyone else that you think might make a great James Bond there, D-Man? I always thought Idris Elba would be cool. He's been floated around as a guy that could be Bond. And he has that super suave. He seems incredibly confident. I think he looks great in a tux. So I could see it. That, okay. who else? Chris Pratt. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, stay stay with Jurassic World, man. Stay with Guardians. Who else could be James Bond? It's pretty tough. I'm not sure. I don't know. What what would you throw out there? My preference has always been Tom Hiddleston, just because hmm, that's there's something about kind of going him back to a uh, like looks Brosnan style, very kind of Connery in his in his appearance. Seeing him in some of the films he's done. Uh, you could see him kind of pulling off the action star role. I mostly think of like Kong Skull Island. Like you're like, okay. Well, and he, the other thing too is he's fortunate that his performance as Loki has him dressed extravagantly and long hair and all this stuff. So audiences don't necessarily, they're not going to see Loki mm -hmm. is what I'm getting at. Yeah. So he can, he can shed that and take on this new persona. That'd be pretty cool. I'd be down for that. I mean, obviously, there could be the handoff to a 007 that isn't James Bond, but I, I would think if they're going to do that, they already set that up here. I would just continue with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think she'd be great in the role. You know, it's hard to tell from like, you know, a leading perspective if you can carry the whole film, but ultimately her performance was really good. I think mm -hmm. that would just come down to writing. Can they make that character more interesting? Because... Here she was much more like a side character at MI6 and didn't really have a whole story of her own. It was kind of jawing back and forth, her and Bond over the same mission and, and the 007 moniker. But mm -hmm. she would need that internal struggle that James Bond carries with him. To that, I would be interested. Also wanted to ask you, what was your thoughts on the decision to kill off Felix Leiter? It was touching. Obviously, they did it intentionally. I think because they wanted him to have a sense of loss mm -hmm. early on in the film. I definitely liked that they had that scene together as the oil rig was flooding. So I liked, I thought that scene was done well and they definitely took the second, I mean, there's this movie's long, so they had a lot of seconds, but they did take the little bit of time to make sure that he didn't just go down the stairs and he's gone and then Bond escapes. They kind of gave them some time together. So obviously I don't want to see anybody die. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when you compare the endings, I mean, again, I think No Time to Die is more powerful because obviously, like you said, it breaks James Bond traditions and kind of pushes the series to new directions. It definitely on this show had us asking questions about where does this go next? And clearly we have interest in what they're going to do. So they've definitely done their job. You know, with yeah. Die Another Day, it kind of ends in typical Bond fashion, him and the girl, you know, mission's done, Bond gets to relax and he'll, James Bond will be back, which he wasn't. But <laughs> in a different, a different act. Yeah, if I had to boil it down, you know, which one was, which one did I like more? Which one do I think did it better? I'm gonna go No Time to Die uh, okay. for most. Well, I outline the reasons; they don't need to be repeated. I am probably going to go with Die Another Day. No, I'm just kidding. I'm gonna go with No Time to Die as well. I think Die Another Day is a fun movie. They do some different things. If you're a Bond fan, there's some cool respect paid to the history of the franchise. Definitely. But I've always said, I think. I think it's one of the weakest Bond films. Another interesting thing between both films is it is kind of weird watching them as an audience. You really do see how old Pierce Brosnan is and how old Daniel Craig is. Yes. It does They're, feel like we need the new end. young. Yeah. I was going to say, and I'm, I'm in the theater and I was like, damn, Daniel Craig looks old. Like at some point, he's just not going to be able to do this anymore. Yeah. You know, they just We've, seem old and you're like, okay, I get it. We got to go on to a new Bond. Well, that does it for the episode. We throw it over to our listeners viewers let us know which bond do you think did it better and which movie do you think did it better it's pierce brosnan versus daniel craig and die another day versus no time to die so you guys let us know who you think did it better
better and continue the conversations on social media, as well as leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And you can subscribe to this show there on Google Play Music. You can find us on Spotify, most major podcast directories, as well as YouTube, where the show is posted in video form. So be sure to check us out, subscribe, comment, and let us know your thoughts on the James Bond franchise and where we're going next. Throw it over to you, CP. We love talking James Bond. We hope you love talking James Bond. We couldn't miss the opportunity to talk about this with a Bond movie that we've been waiting to for close to two years. Exactly. It was coming out, so we had to talk about it. We hope that you will join us next week as we continue the conversation and ask who did it better. Until then, keep watching movies and we'll see you next week.